Hi, and welcome to an episode of the Jet Rails podcast. I'm Robert Rand, your host. And today we're going to be talking about moving B2B ordering to e-commerce. Uh, we know that with everything going on in the world right now, there are lots of organizations that are moving more than just retail um, into the online shopping experience uh, that, that so many of us have uh, worked with and uh, <laughs> uh, helped, I think, in many ways to perfect uh, over the course of years. And, uh, you know, for, for many, though, there are still a lot of questions about how to make that entire process uh, effective in a wholesale distribution, um, you know, in, in some sort of a, a, a chain um, that requires a different type of shopping experience, uh, especially through the, the checkout portion. And so with that, um, we're going to be joined today by uh, Angela from MSTS, and we're going to be able to learn a little bit about uh, you know, some of the intricacies of that uh, process. So with no further ado, Angela, would you introduce yourself? Thank you so much. Uh, good morning. I'm excited to be here, or I guess afternoon, depending on who's listening to it and at what time of day. Uh, my name is Angela Murphy. I am the manager of strategic partnerships for MSTS. We are a company based in Kansas City, and our core competency is in B2B payments and commerce. Awesome. And, um, you know, the company's been helping businesses receive payments. Um, I, I know you work with, with things uh, related to net terms. Um, and, and purchasing on account. Um, is this the first pandemic or downturn that uh, that your company has helped merchants through? No, we've actually weathered a lot of storms as a company. We were founded over 40 years ago, and our company was started at the height of the fuel crisis in the 1970s. So we were kind of born out of the necessity of uh, truckers and uh, trucking companies needing to be able to manage their fuel spend. Uh, so that's how our business was started. And then we've weathered a couple of recessions since then. We made it through. Um, we have a lot of aviation programs. We made it through 9-11. We made it through um, the 08 uh, stock market crash and the recession that then followed. So we're pretty, we're pretty good at navigating these storms with our clients. And that's been something that we have seen in their response back to us over the last several weeks. Yeah. And so what are you hearing from your existing clients? What's going on out there in the world? So we have programs across a variety of verticals and, and the talk track varies a little bit from vertical to vertical. But generally speaking, our company moved to a work from home protocol a little over a month ago, or right out a month ago, which was before a lot of other businesses in our region had made that decision. And there has been essentially no disruption in any of the services services that we provide to our clients. So one of the things that they've shared with us is, one, thank you for not having a disruption in services. We haven't even noticed that you have a remote workforce, except for the fact that, you know, people's children come in for help on homework or, you know, in my case, I have a foster dog. And so, you know, he sometimes wants to come in and talk to people about payments and his feelings <laughs> on those. Um, <laughs> Always great to have a mascot in the house. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And then, um, you know, beyond that, just that we've been really handling this situation with a lot of compassion. We deal with credit lines and with spend, um, and that can be really challenging in an economic environment like what some of these merchants and, you know, even in the airline industry are facing. And we've been able to get out ahead of it with our messaging and the way that we're, you know, engaging with our clients as people and finding out ways to help them stabilize 
during this time so that we can continue to grow those programs, uh, you know, once things have returned a little bit closer to uh, what our plan was for the year. Yeah. Um, would you say that demand has changed for your service, that there are, you know, new merchants uh, that, that hadn't been in your pipeline that are reaching out um, because of what's going on for one reason or another? We've definitely seen that. Uh, we, um, and I may met, uh, reference this a couple of times today, but we had a, another company-wide town hall this morning. And the head of our sales organization was talking about the traction that we're getting in some opportunities that had gone cold over the last several months that they've picked up the phone and called us back and said, we were wrong. We need to do this now. Um, I have also seen in, you know, in conversations that I've had with partners that they have clients that are looking for solutions that they can't provide and asking us how we can step in to help. And then even for some of of our partners having the opportunity to provide our services to them. So they're able to keep their doors open and serve our mutual clients. Now, is that, um, I I suppose, you know, (laughs) would you say that it's because these organizations, um, need help with cash flow? Is it because these organizations had other operations that were more, um, dealing with people face to face or, you know, everyone in one office together. And now that things are, decentralized and there's no foot traffic that that's changed it up? Is it a, a mix of all of the above? Um, what's what's actually um, having the impact? It's a mix of things. So in the market and B2B in particular, a lot of those processes as far as payments are concerned have been immensely paper heavy and lagging behind the digital transformation that we've seen in the consumer space and how people are able to pay for things that they want to purchase. Um, And I mean, we've seen this in data over the last five to seven years that we need to digitize, we need to transform. uh, How do we make the payments process less cumbersome and how do we streamline things? And so now that we have a large portion of workforces in these companies working from home, there's not someone physically in their office to cut the check. And so they're having to find other ways to pay their vendors. And they're also having to find other ways to collect payments from their buyers. So if you imagine a manufacturer who's used to having someone sitting physically in the office, collecting the check in the mail, you take it out, you staple it to the invoice with the purchase order and you put it in the filing cabinet, that simply isn't possible right now. And so they're looking for other ways, um, other ways to handle that. Uh, (laughs) Changing times. Um, certainly things, though, that, that have been addressed for years in, in the tech space. Uh, so I, I suppose that this is, uh, this is not the catalyst that we were looking for to get more, um, more merchants to modernize and to, uh, you know, to improve their processes. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and I guess th- this is not the only, um, the only thing that uh, the business have to do in order to get online um, to build that e-commerce flow. So, you know, payments is certainly a, a part of it. Um, but I, I know that there's a range of, uh, of different things. You know, do you hear from merchants and partners about a variety of pressure points? Um, I, I imagine that you have other partners that solve other needs and that, you know, they're just parts of conversations that come up often that they're not going to be able to leverage what you do until they solve some of these other needs as well. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, with a lot of our partners, particularly 
e-commerce, when you're thinking about a business that may not have even had an online catalog before now, um, they're scrambling to find a solutions provider that can spin up an e-commerce site for them in a relatively short amount of time um, alongside other considerations. How do you market that to your buyers? Uh, And then there's also been these pockets within the partner ecosystem. So, you know, what Adobe and Magento are doing by offering some free services and free digital services to small and medium businesses to help them digitize particular areas of their business and just allowing them to do it for free um, to kind of help stabilize that portion of our economy. And then you have resources like offline to on.com where um, there's this database of solutions, integrators, and other um, service providers in the digital space where if a business needs one of the nine things that you need to be able to take your business online effectively, they can search there for what they're looking for and find the right fit cost-wise and timeline-wise, which has been great. Absolutely. I've been throwing in uh, public service announcements about some of those initiatives like uh, Offline to On. And I know that most of the users so far that are, um, uh, that are you know, most of the merchants that are, are showing up on, on that doorstep, they're typically retail today. Um, but we know that there are um, larger organizations that are in just as much need of moving quickly, of having the right experts um, to deploy the, the right tech stack for them. Um, to be able to operate properly. So um, absolutely, I know that for businesses that are already in e-com, like, you know, they have a Magento site up and running for retail, but they haven't um, set anything up yet for their their B2B channels. Um, There's initiatives like uh, from one of my coworkers, Tom Pachalski, um, to help merchants that are already live that just uh, need that extra leg up. Um, in, in getting to that next level and addressing whatever those immediate concerns are. Um, as I have in recent episodes, we'll definitely share some of those uh, links in the show description and the show notes. Um, if, if anyone's looking for assistance, it's out there. Um, and in many cases with experts that'll volunteer, that'll provide resource, um, especially for businesses that are hurting right now. Um, and you know, I, I know B, in the B2B space um, from my agency days, there were a lot of things that we would look at in, in particular, uh, you know, that merchants, e-commerce sites for B2B, it wasn't just simply, um, you know, the same as retail where load up some products and let shoppers come and, and go through a normal checkout process. Uh, we'd be dealing with things like, um, you know, even who gets access to what in the site, um, who gets to see the wholesale quantities and prices and, um, you know, what kind of shipping opportunities do they have? Is it freight shipping? Does that need to be quoted properly in the checkout? Um, you know, are, are some of these buyers getting different product catalogs or different prices for the individual items? You know, they negotiated prices as a bulk purchaser for certain items. I mean, the, the, the list goes on and on. Um, you know, that you'll have multiple people involved in the purchase. So there'll be, uh, you know, there'll be, uh, you know, let's say someone that that uh, is going to load up the cart and someone else that's going to approve the order. Um, Angela, tell me a little bit more on the net term side. What is it that your team does to help get people through the checkout that's got your phones ringing right now? So this has been really interesting. A lot of what you said plays into our value proposition as a company. So when you think in B2B about the different purchasing roles that you have in your company or the different approvals 
multiples that you would have to go through in order to make a purchase or contract pricing that is a part of B2B purchases, our technology does all of that. So when you think of a B2B purchaser going through the checkout flow, populating the cart, there is a way for that buyer to put in the purchase order number, to put in the notes, uh, who approved the purchase or what department it's supposed to be coded to, and then to have all of that information flow through to the invoice when it's delivered to that company. And that's one of the key values is making the transaction as seamless as possible for that business buyer, considering the immense amount of detail that is involved in making a B2B purchase. Um, We've also seen uh, one of the things that has been really important for our current clients, but also for new clients is the cash flow issue. So we have technology, we have the capital, and we have the services that businesses can leverage in order to create a seamless commerce experience for their buyers. And that's really what we want to provide. So when you think of a business buyer who's going through a checkout, they, for the most part, can't just put the purchase on a credit card. So when you offer them the ability to pay on net terms online, particularly in the current environment when they might not physically be able to go into your store or um, there might be like a high call volume for your sales team because, you know, you're a little thin on your sales team and you, um, you have other practices in place. If that B2B buyer can go online to your website, they can go through and make a purchase on terms, they're going to spend more with you too. So this is also not just solving kind of the cash flow piece, but it's also enabling additional spend in a time when a lot of business is needed. Yeah, well, and I think the traditional process for getting someone up and running on net terms, from my historical experience, it can take days or weeks. They're checking, you know, D&B down in Bradstreet. They're, uh, they're going through lots of, um, you know, lots of historical process that they've probably used for many, many, many years. Uh, what's it like going through your system? Um, what's the timeline like? Does it is it an overnight to get approval, or um, what what is that user experience going to be like for a first time shopper getting onto Net Terms? So for a first time shopper that's going to be going through your checkout flow, if they have not purchased with you before as the merchant when they get to the payments portion of the checkout, you know, you have your different payment options. And if you have enabled us as a solution, there's going to be a button there that says invoice now or invoice me or however you want to tell them, you know, pay by invoice. Um, And they can click on that. And if they're a first time shopper, it will bring up the credit application for them to fill out with about 10 into 15 fields of information that we need to assess the credit worthiness of that buyer. So once they fill out that information, we can make a decision on the credit line for that buyer in under 30 seconds. As long as the credit line is under a quarter of a million dollars for obvious reasons, we need to have a human take a look at that because that's a lot of money to be underwriting for. I don't know um, if that's really a lot of money. <laughs> I mean, I just, I walk around with that as pocket change, right? I know. Yeah. Well, so do I, so do I. Uh, so for the first time shopper, you know, when you're thinking about the user experience, there's a couple of things that can happen for them, right? One, they can, if they're a business buyer and you know that um, based on their behavior, when they come to your site and they're shopping around, you can do a splash, you know, a pop-up screen that says, would you like to pay for this purchase on terms? And they can fill the application out there 
They can do it in the checkout flow. It's the same kind of under 30 seconds. We can get them uh, underwritten and then continuing and completing their purchase, which helps with cart abandonment. Uh, and then in other cases, you know, your inside sales team is also probably working really hard right now as a merchant. They're trying to call people. What do you need to buy? And so we have what's called an invite and sign capability. So your inside sales team can look at their book of business and say, these are the 10 people that I want to have spending on terms. And I want to see if we can get them uh, enrolled in this program. And that sales team member can pre-populate a portion of the application and email it directly to that buyer. They can, the buyer can then finish the application and when they go into the checkout, it's already done. They know how much credit they have. They've been onboarded. They can see in the dashboard what's available to them. The inside sales rep can see how much credit is being spent against. And it's a great way to create a seamless experience if there are concerns about whether or not the buyer would necessarily want to fill out the application at checkout. And it strengthens the relationship between the sales rep and their buyers. So with a 30-second approval window... Um, I imagine that uh, that your system is looking at a few major points to determine if this makes sense and how big of a credit line to issue. What's the risk to the merchant? What happens if one of these uh, one of these customers um, winds up in a cash crunch given what's going on in the world or just you know it happens anyway to a percentage right there's always going to be an outlier there. Um, What's the uh, the risk that the merchant's taking by shipping out goods and not having uh, not having cash in hand before they ship? There is no risk because we're the ones that take it on as a company. So if the merchant is using us as a solution, what is pre baked into that is that we settle with the merchant in you know whatever terms that they would like to have. So to the merchant, it's going to look and feel like a credit card transaction. We can settle with them in two days, seven days, whatever works for them. And then we go collect on the invoice. MSTS goes and collects on the invoice on behalf of that merchant from the buyer. And we're seeing some of this now where there, there's some tight purse strings for some of the purchasers on our programs across the different verticals. And what we've been able to do is to find ways to help them pay in one way or another, give them a couple of extra days, um, maybe work on getting some of the more outstanding receivables uh, to uh, so that they can continue spending against that credit line. But for the merchant's point of view, they've already been paid and there's no risk to them. If we can't collect on the invoice, that risk is on our books. That's really interesting. So, you know, I, I absolutely, I, I see the analogy with, uh, you know, with a credit card payment or some form of factoring where the, the risk is really, you know, being removed from the merchant. The merchant can continue to conduct business without being the bank. Because I mm-hmm. think that's the risk in most cases for, um, for accepting net terms. And we saw it in 08 dry up, uh, you know, where a lot of businesses that used to extend pretty favorable terms, they realized that that was not uh, going to work for them anymore for cash flow reasons. I suppose some have opened back up to it by now um, mm-hmm. and elongated again, but very hard right now to continue to extend those same terms that you'd been um, historically. So uh, that's really interesting. You know, I've, I've been thinking, uh, you know, some of the other B2B features that, um, you know, that I f- frequently run into. And I know with uh, Magento's commerce version, with the the enterprise version of Magento, um, that there are now some native features included, um, things like requisition lists, uh, you know, for shoppers that are going to keep coming back and 
buying specific uh, items or you know items from a specific uh, you know uh, list, um, depending on what department within an organization they're in or what their needs are. There are things for for quick ordering, like to order by SKU um, or order by uploading a a file, like a you know a spreadsheet, a CSV file. Um, you know, I, I, we often uh, on a recent episode we talked about omnichannel, and so you know for these organizations that are managing shipments out of different warehouses, different things, there's often connectivity through API with ERP, with warehouse management systems. Um, you know that it, it's a bit more complex than maybe simple retail in some cases, not to say that retail doesn't have connectivity <laughs> with accounting and with, uh, with point of sale and with other things, but it's, it's a bit different. Um, you know, I know that some are still for some buyers. Um, I, I suppose if they're going to go through some kind of a punch out system, like, like uh, what would have been, um, you know, Ariba now, now an SAP company, I believe, or some of those that maybe they wouldn't go through, uh, MSTS that they'd have a different flow for handling some of that that purchase information. Perhaps uh, that's an interesting one that I run into every once in a while. Um, you know, but yeah. even or, or, or shoppers using government P cards. You know, you need a whole other type of merchant account to handle that. That's not your normal credit card processor in in a normal, let's say, PayPal account. Usually, uh, mm-hmm. I hope nothing's changed and I haven't gotten that wrong. But um, you know, just certainly. Um, you know, I, I've even seen it where um, where shoppers in the checkout, they want to use their own shipping account, you know, their own FedEx or UPS or other account. They don't want it shipped, uh, you know, at, at whatever retail rate they would be charged in the checkout by the, the merchant, by the e-commerce site. Um, you know, and, and I guess, uh, you know, you were mentioning, Angela, businesses just getting their catalogs online for the first time. One of the big challenges, I think, is always that... Um, are those catalogs really web ready? Um, Cause those are often not really customer facing. They're coming out of an ERP or some other data warehouse and they're not, they haven't really gone through much of a marketing scrub. <laughs> right. And we're seeing that. So we have a current prospect that has a distribution side of the house. And that's, so their B2B has kind of a couple of different buckets. One of the buckets is their distribution one of distribution channel, one of them is their like education and government channel, which mm-hmm. we have deep experience in as a company. And then um, they also have kind of what they consider to be B2B, but it, there's a division between, you know, smaller B2B versus enterprise B2B. And we found out through discovery that this client doesn't even have a catalog for the distribution bucket in their house and they wanted to test us or pilot our solution in an environment that doesn't have an online catalog and never has. Uh, And so we're working through that with them right now because there's certain, you know, hooks and calls that have to go along with that. We have a, we have a great API spec, so we're going to be able to handle it once they figure out how to get the catalog online. Um, But we've been through that with clients previously where they have a, I mean, they have a really interesting catalog and how we, uh, how we interact with that uh, in our API calls has been challenging, but we also learned a lot from it too. Yeah. You know, I, I know some great PIM tools, some great product information management tools that really help merchants to standardize the data and get it web ready. There are other 
um, you know, merchandising teams and systems that, uh, you know, that, that help with the categorization, the attributing, you know, if you've got a big online catalog and it's just straight products, you know, products, descriptions, prices, SKUs, uh, you know, and, and whatever inventory data, um, and you don't have attributes that help people to find the product. So you don't have an extra field for color, for size, for things that people can filter down on their, uh, you know, on a category page or a search results page. You don't have um, things that the search box in your website can um, g- can find and utilize to help people find what they're looking for. It's going to be a really rough uh, shopping experience in a lot of cases. So um, definitely a lot of good resources out there available um, for, for merchants that need it. Um, you know, makes me think I've got to pull in a few more folks onto the podcast to talk <laughs> about some of those things. But, uh, you know, everybody's got different complexity. I mean, I, I think mm-hmm. for, you know, a lot of e-commerce sites, they have all of their goods warehoused in one place. A lot of B2B organizations, they don't have that luxury that um, they've got uh, multiple warehouses that, that are going to have to fulfill orders. So, you know, again, like you were mentioning, you know, MSTS has, has a strong API, um, you know, you need an e-commerce platform and in some cases, different intermediary software um, that's going to be just as strong to make sure that um, that the operation is sustainable as you scale it up. Because um, yeah, I think absolutely. that's the challenge. Anything in, right, in drips and drabs, you know, taking an order here, an order there and manually getting it where it needs to go, manually getting, you know, everything uh, into accounting, into shipping and not the end of the world, but economies of scale <laughs> become really problematic. I mean, even connecting in the right CRM that, you know, retailers, e-commerce retailers rarely um, look uh, until they get to a certain size as deeply at connecting to uh, a CRM system. But when you're dealing with bigger wholesale buyers, um, bigger B2B buyers, that's a relationship that, you know, I think that there's been fear for years in the um, in the B2B space that e-commerce was going to um, take away the need for uh, a strong sales team. And, and I've always thought a little bit of the opposite. It empowers the sales team. That salesperson can now effectively manage more customers at once while getting more data to figure out who needs more attention, who's looking at what, who's, who's adding what to cart but not checked out yet that you should really be talking to and, and helping through the process and seeing what you can do to nurture. Yeah. And I definitely want to lean into that a little bit because we see that from our perspective over decades of managing, you know, retail programs for large retailers, but also manufacturers as well. And seeing the rise of e-commerce and the concept of like omni-channel and also, you know, these complexities that you're talking about integrations with CRMs and ERPs and how that relates to our solution. We have integrations with over 20 five ERPs that we put together on behalf of our clients because it was a need. There needs to be this seamless experience from the merchant side as well of, okay, we need to know what color pens this buyer bought because it helps you determine when to call them back if you're the sales team member, right? Mm -hmm. So for one of our larger clients, they have the solution deployed on their e-commerce as well as at their point of sales, so in their physical stores. And so when they have this buyer, because this is a large buyer across a lot of different states in the U.S., 
when something breaks, they can go into the physical store and pick one up and they can spend against the credit line for that program. Um, and all that information flows through into the CRM and also to the dashboard for that inside sales team. So when the inside sales team logs into their portal or logs into their CRM, and they're able to see the level three data of what their buyers are purchasing. And I agree with you. I think it's a way to leverage technology to empower the sales team to sell more. So when you couple the technology side of a seamless integration between your e-commerce and your CRM or your ERP with a knowledgeable person, plus the ability for those buyers to spend on terms, you're seeing not only a 20% increase in spend from those buyers, you're also seeing a 60% increase in intent to purchase. And that is just something that, I mean, is incredibly important in the current environment and even beyond. Absolutely. Um, even on the marketing front that if you want to be marketing to these buyers effectively, having data points available on their historical shopping with your organization, um, that you can just pull from to send the right campaign to the right people, segment them, you know, uh, how much have they spent and what items were they looking at recently? And, uh, you know, just things that you can be doing to market to them smarter, to let the right people know about the right, uh, uh, the right opportunities for replenishment or for new items that uh, have hit your catalog or whatever it may be. Um, there's tons and tons of that. That's that's a podcast episode to itself right there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, uh, effective uh, marketing uh, based on utilizing your e-commerce data. And there are systems that you can leverage that just make that um, so much more straightforward. Um, but, uh, you know, going back... Um, you know, to maybe our, our overarching uh, conversation today. I, I know that none of us are particularly clairvoyant. Um, based on what you're seeing in the market, any, any predictions or anything that you anticipate further impacts, um, changes to the status quo for your businesses, your clients, um, your, your future clients? I'm writing a piece on this right now all about resources for SMBs. So um, for anybody who follows me on LinkedIn or is interested to hear my insights on impacts for SMBs and resources, uh, that'll be going live uh, here in a couple of days. Uh, one of the things that I think is really important is how we're going to react to and also serve our SMB and middle market segment. I think if we as solutions providers and partners don't find continued ways to collaborate to solve issues for those businesses, we're going to see about 50% of them disappear before the fallout's fully realized. Um, and so that's kind of what that piece is about is uh, looking at the market, looking at your core competencies as a company, understanding how you can uh, prepackage or, um, collaborate to offer those services to SMBs. I think that's going to be um, a continued impact in our industry, uh, but it will also have a, a colossal impact on what the SMB and even middle market landscape looks like in Q3 and Q4 of this year. Um, as far as like status quo for businesses and for my 
you know, from my perspective for merchants, this is going to fundamentally alter the way that B2B transactions occur. Uh, we've been saying this for years in the B2B space from SIs to technology partners to the Magentos and the sales forces of the world. We've seen this coming. We've seen the need for digital transformation. And it's almost become this kind of buzzword that has no meaning, right? You have a buzz phrase like, oh, digital transformation. Everybody wants to talk about digital transformation, omnichannel. What does that functionally mean? And now we're in a critical moment where some of these businesses, particularly in the middle market, won't survive if they don't figure out how to take their business online. Um, And so I think we're going to see a couple of things. One, some people are going to get left behind because they're afraid to change. And that's an unfortunate reality that we live in. But two, I also think that for the businesses that are willing to take on a new challenge and invest in digitizing and optimizing their processes... And for those of us that are willing to walk on that journey with them during a time of economic uncertainty, that's where you're going to see the biggest transformation because they're going to become the enterprises and the heavy hitters. And in a year or two, when you know they've double, triple, quadruple the size of their business, those are going to be the people you see at conferences talking about who was with them when the pandemic happened and how collaboration was key and how the remote workforce deployed in order to take their business online. And so I think that there's a lot of turmoil right now, but I think that for the right players and the people who are willing to collaborate and maybe take a couple of uh, risks to tackle some challenges that uh, when the conference circuit reopens here in, you know, a year or two, that we'll all be able to sit around and be like, man, we made the right call here or wow, we really learned from this. And, you know, during the next downturn, let's not do that. Um, So I think it'll allow us to be better prepared and also to come up with some really innovative solutions. And and I I would double down on that statement. I I couldn't have said it any better myself. Uh, I don't think that people forget the folks that that help them through a time like this. I know at JetRails, we've been uh, doing our best as well to step in um, and and help merchants that that need it. Um, And our partners have been doing the same. And um, in e-commerce, as I always say, it takes a village. Uh, there's a lot of systems that have to work together, that have to come together, a lot of vendors that, that have to support um, the, uh, the sites properly in order for everything to work like clockwork. Um, so it, it's huge. But at the same time, a lot of organizations that we saw that might have had heavier brick and mortar or, you know, or, or um, traditional B2B uh, sales channels that are now just a lot more focused on their online channels and that's where the volume is. And um, it's a great time to be optimizing those to make sure that they're ready for, you know, sustainable growth. Um, and, uh, and as you said, I know we had a recent uh, podcast episode uh, that talked about growing in a down market like this. And it, it does take forethought into investing in um, that, it can be without knowing exactly when things will get better. It can be very difficult to just completely step back and uh, and pull all your capital and and all you know all of your investment into your company. I mean, everyone's in a different situation, uh, but it's uh, you know it's something where you, you don't really um, <laughs> you don't want to just leave it out, out there in the wind. You want to be proactive. You want to be engaged. And you want to set yourself up to be bigger and better than ever in the future. And, and to, uh, I, I don't know how many we're going to consider winners through uh, a crisis like this, but certainly to be strong uh, businesses for your customers, for, for your employees, for yourselves, 
moving forward. So, um, yeah, Angela, it's been really fantastic having you on the podcast today. Um, any final uh, thoughts to share before we uh, we wrap it for the day? Uh, just that I'm really grateful to be here and chatting with you and to be in an ecosystem that focuses on partnering and strategy and collaboration. And uh, to just remind everybody to, while you're in this time, um, recognize that we are all trying to provide solutions, but we're all also living our home lives. And to just give Give yourself permission to lean into yourself, whatever that means. I've been trying to end almost every call I have with just a reminder to my colleagues or my partners or my friends to say, take care of yourself. And it seems trite considering everything that's going on, but I think that that we all have a tendency to want to be as productive as possible and just to put everything on the table and we're going to solve everything this week. And um, I think it can be a little bit disingenuous to what it will take to make us um, not only the employees, but also just like the professionals that we want to be and the humans that we want to be. So um, I'm going to conclude with this thought that I put in a recent virtual coffee chat, which is that productivity is not the rent that you pay to enjoy your life. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, so to our, our listeners, uh, as always, thank you for joining us for uh, another episode of the Jet Rails podcast. Um, please feel free to subscribe, share, uh, you know, share feedback, good, bad, or otherwise. Um, ask us questions that you have that we might be able to go out there in the world and get answers to. If you're looking for help out there, um, doesn't have to be web hosting help. Uh, doesn't have to be web hosting credits or assistance. Um, you know, whatever it may be. If we can try to find you the right partners, the, the right organizations to assist, we're happy to. And in the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and happy selling. <laughs>